Thank you, Kim, and uh, thank you, uh, kids. Yeah, those were cool pictures. You did a great job. Thank you for all who volunteered, who served, who provided. Um, it looks like it was a great week. Thank you so much. Bridge kids, you are dismissed. We do have technical difficulties from time to time, and you know everything here changes uh, sometimes week to week, and that changes a lot of things we do. And we've had different things happen in the last few weeks. Um, lighting can be different, wiring can be different, video can be set up differently, and our guys do a marvelous job to adjust um, and enable us to be able to have uh, worship week after week after week. And of course, you know, um, you know, like we don't plan the uh, stage every week. What's going to be behind us? We don't know. Sometimes, uh, you may have noticed these uh, thrones last week. Um, Sue reminded me after the service uh, when my first became a senior pastor back in 1986. When I went to serve at the church, and back in those days, you know, I wore the suit and tie, and everybody did, and um, I had to sit on a throne like that. And we had three that faced the congregation, and the one in the middle was the highest. That's where I had to sit, and then we had a scripture reader on one side and the song leader on the other side. And so I had to be up there every week and look down on the congregation. And it took a couple of years to sort of bring some change, but we removed the chairs. One Sunday, we came and the chairs weren't there. And... Um, I started sitting on the front row because I wanted to model to the church that I am not above the church, but I come from the body, and I am one of you. And you already know that, okay? <laughs> um, let's talk about Luke chapter 9. We're going to be in verses 1 through 17. You know, Jesus recruited his leadership team very early in his public ministry. In Luke chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, uh, we have records of their names. Let me remind you, there was Simon, whom he named Peter, also called Cephas, and his brother Andrew, early disciples, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, the son of Alphas, a different James, Simon, who was called the Zealot, two Simons, Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, two Judases. Judas Iscariot was the one who became a traitor. When Jesus uh, recruited his team, he said things like, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And, you know, I don't know if they had a clue what that meant. That would have been a, a kind of a difficult one to understand. What do you, what do you mean, Jesus? Right away, Jesus began training them. And they were to follow him, and he taught about the kingdom of God, and that the kingdom of God was at hand. And so they had hours and hours of his teaching about the kingdom of God, and opportunities to ask him questions. They watched him heal lepers. He raised some dead. He gave sight to the blind. Um, he healed many diseases. 
He cast out demons who were spiritually oppressed, of people who were uh, spiritually oppressed. Big change coming. Now it will be their turn. They get to do it. They get to do the things that he does. And Jesus will have many things for them to learn as they begin to do this uh, ministry. And one of those uh, big things is going to be illustrated in this video clip. So uh, I, want, uh, I want you to just uh, take notice of this. This is uh, from 2011. Can we see that? Okay, that's a Super Bowl video uh, ad. So some of you thought that was pretty cute. Some of you thought it was cheesy. Some of you even got what it was about. You know, that little Darth Vader Jr. really couldn't do all the things he was trying to do unless, what? The Father enabled him to do that. Jesus wants his followers to get that, and we're going to see that as we look at our passage today. Um, turn to Luke chapter 9, if you haven't gotten there already. Luke chapter 9, just a reminder, that's one of the reasons we put the Bibles on the table, so you can grab one when you come in. You can also use those really smart phones that you have, etc. Luke chapter 9, I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing the people everywhere. Nothing to it. They were given an assignment. They did it. So this is, uh, we're going to start, this verses 1 through 6 is really a training day. It's going to take longer, but they get all their instructions in one day. Uh, first, authority is delegated in verses 1 and 2. When Jesus called the twelve together. That's a that's a technical term, the 12, and it refers to those names that I read, the 12. For a short time in the book of Acts, they're going to be the 11, and then they get Matthias, and they go back to the 12. So their location is Capernaum, 
And uh, some of the disciples actually lived there, so they got to sleep at home at night at times. And so now he calls them together in one place, and it says he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. So uh, this is something new. They did not have this ability before. Uh, they're given power. They don't have the same relationship with the Holy Spirit that we do today. Uh, it was different before Acts chapter 2. Um, they're living under the whole entire Old Testament system at this time, and Jesus is transitioning through this. And then it says that uh, after giving the power, power and authority, verse 2, he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Heal the sick. Um, they were to go out and go into the communities and let people know the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. The king is present. And that's telling everybody that Messiah is here. We know, it as, know that term as the Christ. The Hebrew concept was Messiah, the anointed one, the one that God's special chosen servant. And they're sent out to proclaim the kingdom of God. This is exactly what Jesus has been doing in the book of Luke. And uh, let, let's just be reminded of what his role was from Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 and 19. Remember that Jesus was in his hometown in Nazareth, and he went in to read the scripture on the Sabbath day, and he uh, read Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2. And here's what he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me. And of course, he actually was on Jesus at that very moment, because he has anointed me the Messiah, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for, of sight for the blind. There's going to be healings. There's going to be uh, people uh, who are oppressed by demons. They're going to be free to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor. In, in the Old Testament, there was this concept of the year of the Jubilee on the 50th year, and uh, debts were forgiven. How would you like to have your, you have to wait 50 years, but wouldn't it be nice to get your debts forgiven if we were in year 47 or something, you know? All debts were forgiven. But Jesus is offering to free them of moral debt. He's offering forgiveness for sin. It's the year of the Lord's favor. It's about grace. God's favor on them. And he's there to announce it. And now he's sending them out to announce it. Uh, verse 21, he began, saying, uh, he began by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That was like super bold. That like rocked their socks. They go, <sighs> you know, who is this guy? And um, some people were just totally amazed. But people got to thinking about that. What did they do? They wanted to drive him out of town. They wanted to throw him off a cliff because they thought this was heresy for him to say that, to say this passage is fulfilled today. And then he gives those instructions we read in verses 3 through 5. Uh, 
Imagine that you are one of the disciples. You are just now told, okay, guys, this is what I've been doing. I'm now giving you power and authority. Now you go do it too. How would you feel? Scared? A little heady? I gotta do this. You know, just like little Darth Vader. And that's not actually what it was about. But uh, he says, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Oh, what? No clean underwear? No toothbrush, no deodorant. What do you got in mind, Lord? And uh, this was also kind of a practice of itinerant, itinerant teachers in the day. Itinerant philosophers could go from village to village, and they would almost beg for money for people to provide. So they would do their thing, and then they would want money for help and a place to stay. And uh, Jesus says, nope, you're not going to do that. You're not going to beg. You're not going to ask. You're going to go, and you're going to proclaim the kingdom of God, and you're going to go, and you're going to cast out demons, and you're going to heal people. Verse 4, he says, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. And there was a couple of reasons for this. One, um, hospitality was a really big issue in the first century, uh, quite a bit different than today. And that was like the main thing that you did for uh, people that, that you valued, that uh, were like-minded, that uh, your countrymen. It was really important to offer hospitality, and sometimes it was to great expense to to invite somebody into your home. And a lot of those homes were one-room houses, by the way. So you got to sleep with the whole family if you got to stay overnight there. And um, whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. It's not like, okay, this house over here is nicer, and these people have more money. you got to go over there tomorrow night. Now he's saying, I want you to stay. I want you to be content. I want you just to focus on what you're going to do, and you're going to stay in one place. And um, one of the things that he is, Jesus is doing here, one of the things that he is teaching, one of the things that he has assigned is he wants them to be totally dependent on him, totally dependent on God. You don't get to take anything. Only God will provide for what you need. You are not going to provide for what you need. Only God will provide. And then he says, if people do not welcome you, because some will not, if people do not welcome you, leave their town, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. In other words, a practice in the first century of um, especially uh, something that Jewish rabbis taught and that when they would come out of a, another country into the land of Israel or from a, 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 a Gentile area, uh, back into a Jewish area, they would take off their sandals and shake off the dust. And it was, the idea was they're shaking off the defilement of that community as they come into that which is better. And Jesus wants them to do that when people do not welcome them. Because if they do not welcome them, they are not welcoming the message and they are not welcoming the messenger 
and they are not welcoming Jesus. And he's saying, you've done what you came to do. Now, leave it. It's on them. It's not on you. Um, so, verse 6, we see their job was done. Uh, they were successful. They set out and went from village to village proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. They did what Jesus said. They did the things that Jesus did. Uh, they were proclaiming the kingdom of God and they were showing to people um, that the, the kingdom comes with power. The kingdom of God comes with authority. Um, and Jesus' power and authority was displayed. Now, if you were one of the disciples, how would you feel about this? Pretty cool, huh? Pretty exciting, huh? you imagine them getting back together and telling the stories? And, and there's just one, Luke just gives us one little verse, but there's a whole lot of stuff that happened. People's lives were changed. People responded to the good news in the same way that they did Jesus. And in the same way they did Jesus, some people rejected it. Uh, they were able to cast out demons. And when they taught about the kingdom of God, people were interested. So uh, Luke now seems to take uh, a little bit of an aside here in verses 7 through 9. And uh, uh, kind of uh, something we need to know as the story unfolds in the whole gospel of Luke. And it doesn't seem like it necessarily fits right here. Uh, Verse 7, now Herod, now where did Herod come from? Because he's not been in the story. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on. This is Herod Antipas. He is the son of Herod the Great. There are four generations of Herod in the New Testament. So every time you hear the name, it's not always the same person. So this is Herod Antipas. Herod the Great uh, is called Herod the Great because he built some great buildings he wanted to do a lot of things to beautify. He, he built a great temple in Jerusalem. He was the king, but there was a pretty evil streak. He's the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a baby because he feared that Jesus would be a great king and sort of take over his, his role. Herod Antipas was a son, but the Romans divided Herod the Great's kingdom into different parts. And so a tetrarch was just a small part of the kingdom, and Herod Antipas had northern Israel in the Galilean area. Herod was a tetrarch. He liked to be called king. He wasn't really one. And uh, he had heard about Jesus. If you remember, Herod Antipas is the one who killed John the Baptist. Herod had taken the wife of his brother, and his brother had married his niece, and it's all complicated. And Herodias... Herod Antipas's wife had wanted John the Baptist to be beheaded, and so Herod was in a difficult place, and he followed through and had John the Baptist beheaded. And Herod now is curious about this Jesus guy. Uh, he'd heard about he'd heard about Jesus's teaching about the kingdom of God. Is is this somebody that the Old Testament has talked about? Uh, he's He's heard about the miracles that Jesus has done. And perhaps he's also heard that Jesus has now sent out his followers, and they too are doing the same things. Who is this guy? He was perplexed 
because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead. That's going to be a problem for Herod. John the Baptist comes back having been beheaded by Herod. Maybe somehow he'll take revenge on Herod. That would be scary to have somebody you had beheaded come back from the grave. Herod worried about things like that. And then we have this passage in the Old Testament in Malachi chapter 4 that talks about Elijah coming again. Is this Elijah coming back? Herod doesn't know. He's curious. Uh, Still others said that one of the prophets long ago had come back to life. That was just, you know, kind of what people think. It was kind of gossip. It was word on the street. Verse 9, but Herod said, I beheaded John. I know that much. Who then is this I hear such things about? It can't be John. He's dead. Who is this guy? And it says, Herod tried to see him. Herod wanted to see Jesus. And you would think, isn't that great? He's drawn to Jesus. He wants to meet Jesus. And if only he could, he might become a follower. But Herod's heart isn't interested in getting right with God and being forgiven or cleansed and learning about the kingdom of God. Herod wants to meet Jesus because he would like to see Jesus do things. You know, come up and do things. And like having a magician in his own court and that he could do these miracles whenever Herod called him out. We're going to find out that Herod's going to want to see Jesus later. In fact, before Jesus is crucified, Herod gets to see him. But all he wants is a miracle. That's all he wants. So the question, who then is this that I hear great things about? Luke wants us to know. This is an important question in the book of Luke. He has been raising it in different ways throughout. As Jesus goes about, who is this? Who is this? Is this the one? Is this the Messiah? The answer is absolutely yes. But the word is getting out, and there's still much mystery about who Jesus is. You know, the same is is true today, isn't it? There's a mystery. Who is Jesus? It's the same question our culture needs to hear. And God has you and I here so we can help them discover who this Jesus is. So back to our story, verses 10 through 17. Uh, we have unexpected dinner guests, verses 10 through 17. Um, First, the report in verse 10. When the apostles returned, so they'd gone out into the villages, they'd done what Jesus said, now they come back, and they're coming back to Capernaum. Um, remember, this is kind of their North, North Shore headquarters. It's kind of a home base. Some of the disciples live there. They were recruited there, and Jesus just likes to hang out there and just keeps going back there. And they reported to Jesus what they had done. Now there's going to be a debrief session. Good model of discipleship here. Jesus teaches and he teaches and he instructs and they watch and they watch and he says, okay, you try it, you do it. They did it and then, okay, let's get back together. Let's talk about this. How did it go? What could you have done better? What went really well? What did you learn? And so uh, they had this debrief. We don't know how long it was. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called 
Bethsaida. So to do this, think about them being in Capernaum, and they're likely going to now get into a boat, and they're going to go across to Bethsaida. And, of course, we need at least a map. Here we go. So this is a, kind of the whole land of Israel, and that little body of water up there is the Sea of Galilee. Nazareth is where Jesus grew up. And then you see Capernaum, that's North Shore, Sea of Galilee, little fishing village, kind of really important in the New Testament period. And then we have, uh, let's uh, zoom in on this a little bit more. And so now you see where Bethsaida is. You see Capernaum, North Shore, and Bethsaida. See, they just get into a boat, and they're just going to go along a little ways out from the shore. They're going to go to Bethsaida. Um, but there's going to be an interruption in verse 11. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. And so we've got another map here. The crowd, so they're on this, they're going along the shore, and the crowds begin to see what's up. He's moving. Pass it on. He's going. Let's go. And so they begin to follow. People begin to walk. People begin to run on the shoreline to stay with the boat. Some people can't keep up. They're just going to get there when they get there. But people are beginning to move toward Jesus. They don't know where he's going, but they know he's going to come back sometime. He's going to land sometime. And so uh, we have a situation developing. So uh, imagine that you are one of the disciples. And so you see all this happening. And then it says in verse 11, when the people learned about it, he welcomed them. He welcomed them. Now, if you're one of the disciples, how does that make you feel? Okay, Lord, you said we were going to get away. You said we were going to have a retreat. You said, you know, we've worked hard. We need a rest. We need to regroup. And you're going to stop with these people? There are hundreds and hundreds of people. And they all need you, Jesus. Um, we're tired. And what do you think they... What was going through their mind when, when this was happening? He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. This just wasn't a few minutes, hi, how are you? Let's take a few pictures. This was, he was set in, he set the course, and he was going to invest his life into these people. Jesus was patient. He made time for these desperate people which is a great reminder from last week. Do we have time for desperate people? It's easy when you think about desperate people who have significant needs, and sometimes they become aware of their need for God before others. I was reminded on the way to the church, but we are often called to ministry to serve people who don't know they need Jesus at all. Life is going really well, and they have no clue. And I don't, you know, not to cast judgment, I was just thinking about this when I was driving to church this morning, and I passed this mom, young mom, uh, you know, fit, she was riding her bicycle, and she had a, uh, a stroller hooked to her bike with one child, and she had another child right on the back on, behind her seat, and she was just going away, making good time, 
And, you know, pretty cool, pretty nice to see somebody enjoying outside and the health. And I can remember, you know, back probably in the 1950s, some woman would have stopped and said, don't you know you should be in church, you know. And uh, that's probably not a really good way to communicate with people. But, um, and then, you know, I saw all kinds of people, husbands and wives, out walking, getting their exercise, you know. Maybe they went to church on Saturday night. <laughs> Maybe they made the 8 o'clock. But the idea is there's so many people, good people, who don't know that Jesus is who he said it is, that he, who he says he is. So um, they, verse, uh, the problem we see, but now there's a problem of verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away. This is pretty cool because think about this. The 12 come. What does that mean? They have been meeting about this. Hey, Peter, what do you think about this? John, I don't know. You know, when is he going to stop? I think we need to talk to him. No, you talk to him. And it takes all 12 of them. And they, they stop Jesus. Send them away. We thought this through. They're very practical. Jesus, sometimes you get caught up in the work and you forget everything around you. We are hungry. They are hungry. It's late. There's no Holiday Inn. There's no Motel 6. In the first century in Israel, there's no Burger Kings or McDonald's or Taco Bells. Jesus, we've got to send them away so they can, I don't know, go somewhere. And so... uh, the amazing thing, the solution comes from Jesus in verse 13. Um, and so the disciples want them to go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because there was, they were in a remote place. The solution, verse 13, he replied, you give them something to eat. Oh, okay. What? Lord, you don't seem to understand We have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. And we didn't bring the money bags for all this crowd. In fact, we don't even have money bags for all this crowd. Um, The disciples have already done their research. They have the facts. We have five loaves, two fish. That's not going to do it, Jesus. You don't seem to understand. Um, In fact, Jesus, this is impossible. Do you get that? This is impossible. In verses 14 through 17, we see uh, the miracle. About 5,000 men were there. Uh, Matthew reports that there were women and children as well. By the way, this is a miracle that takes place in all four Gospels. It's the only one other than the resurrection. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Jesus steps in now. He's got a plan for how to do this. We're going to 50 each. We're going to have some organization. We're going to make this distribution a little more orderly. Now, the funny thing is the disciples did so. You know, they didn't complain. I don't know if there was something in the tone of Jesus' voice. He seems to be in charge again. I think there's going to be a solution. I have no clue how he's going to do this. 
Verse 16, taking the five loaves and the two fish. So what did they do? They had to take their only resources to Jesus. You ever do that? Put your resources into the hands of Jesus Christ. All of them. They took their resources to Jesus, and he, looking up to heaven, he was looking to his Father, he gave thanks. You know, this is where we have the model of giving thanks for our food on a daily basis. This has been the Christian practice. I hope it's your practice to, to give thanks. And I don't care how you do it, but I just hope you have a thankful heart when God provides for you. And he didn't bless the food, by the way. The blessing always is for God. They thank God. They give blessing to God. Um, and that's where the whole concept about bless the food is always about blessing God, speaking to God and thanking him. It's a worshipful act. The food was placed under Jesus' control. He gave thanks. He set it apart. He gave it as an example for all. And then, he, after giving thanks, he took the five loaves and the two fish, and then he began to distribute it to 12 disciples. Now, how did that happen? 12 disciples. I thought there were five loaves. Would you just cut the bread into 12s? And he began to distribute it to all 12 disciples. Um, this is going to be a significant learning experience for Jesus' followers. Verse 17 says, They all ate and were satisfied, and they picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Um, I think Matthew 14, 21 says, puts it this way. Do we have Matthew 14, 21? Uh, the number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. And Luke says they were all satisfied, all the people, 5,000 plus the women, plus the kids, plus the disciples, plus Jesus. They were all satisfied. They were full. It could be that some people present that day had never had so much. And then we have this little note here. There was a surplus, 12 basketfuls of broken pieces. That doesn't mean these are crumbs that nobody wanted. This was just everybody ate their full, and there were uh, parts of a loaf that probably some loaves that never, never uh, people didn't get to. And uh, there were 12 baskets full. Now, some theologians think there is a great significance here to the 12 tribes of Israel and God's providing for all 12 tribes. That may well be. To me, there's an obvious one here. There are 12 disciples. Who are going to carry those baskets? You know, God can take care of you. He can do the impossible if that's what you need. And there's going to be an abundance. And you're going to have to carry the excess. Um, 
So what did the disciples learn? Well, one of the things they learned is that in the hands of Jesus, the impossible can be done. If you bring things to Jesus, place them into his hands, put it under his control, it can be amazing. Secondly, Jesus supplies abundantly for their needs and their ministry. He didn't give them gold. He gave them what they needed right on the spot. And not only that, it enhanced the ministry they were doing, and it made the ministry possible, and everybody could give thanks after that. And God was honored, and God was worshipped. Okay, I have three lessons for us here. Number one, our faith grows and develops as we follow Christ's instructions. And some of the obvious, the example here is the disciples. They got instructions from Jesus. I want you to go and do this. And they went and did it. And they had these amazing experiences as God worked through them, as people responded to their message, as people responded to how they were serving, and they were able to do amazing miracles. You think that grew their faith? Absolutely. All of these guys are going to be willing to die for Jesus. We know that's not going to be exactly true for Judas Iscariot. These guys are all willing to give their life after these years of following Jesus. We are now in the second year in the book of Luke of Jesus' public ministry. Um, And so, um, as you follow Jesus' instructions, God is going to grow your faith. He's going to develop you. Your trust for him is going to grow. When you see him answer prayer, when you see him empower you to do what you need to do, maybe it's how you respond to somebody. Maybe he gives you kindness and patience when you would just like to bring justice on them immediately. Um, Maybe he's going to answer prayer about a financial need, but you, you pray, you put it in God's hand, and then when it comes, you know that God did this for me. Um, can you trust Jesus with your family? Can you trust Jesus with your dating life, with your finances, with your daily needs? Can you trust Jesus if you follow his instructions when it comes to giving? Setting aside a portion, learning generosity, and not always knowing if I have enough left over. If you put his instructions first, What about if you love others because Jesus wants you to, not because you feel like it? Do you think your faith will grow? Do you think you'll see Jesus work through you? What about forgiving other people? When normally, you know, they just don't deserve it, so I'm not going to do it. Second lesson, sometimes Jesus engages us to do something before he supplies the solution. This happens, I think, quite a bit in life. He did this with the disciples. Especially, you know, when he said, you give them something to eat. Jesus, or all these people, there's no food here. We've got to send them home. You give them something to eat. What? And they, Jesus has already given them power and authority. They've been able to do a lot of things. They didn't come to him and say, Jesus, we have a problem. What do you recommend here? How can we solve this? What would you like us to do? Jesus says, you give them something to eat. How's that going to happen? Um, it reminded me of uh, 
good 10 years ago, God placed it on our hearts to move to Eau Claire to plant a church. And, um, you know, we were fairly along in years back then, and so we'd had some experience in faith, but the truth is we didn't really have any idea what that meant as far as who was going to be in this church, who was going to be interested. Um, we didn't have any idea how financially this could happen. We didn't have any idea where we would meet, what kind of space we would need. Um, there were so many things, and so we just had to begin moving and asking God for the solutions, and here we are today. Um, sometimes Jesus engages you to do something before he supplies a solution for you. Are you willing to move ahead when you know he's leading you? Even though you don't have all the answers. Thirdly, last one. This is a little bit longer. We have been sent out with Jesus' authority and power, just like the disciples. Our success depends on our dependence upon Jesus. Now, maybe this is like super obvious. So um, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus told his followers, all power, uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Well, the Holy Spirit has come, and you have received the Holy Spirit, and you have power that comes from God, and it's to live your life. Not necessarily to go around zapping buildings and making cars start and dogs. I don't know what he wanted the dog to do. But you have been given power from Jesus. And it's a whole lot about displaying his life. Now, the interesting thing is, when it comes to power, he sent the disciples out to do this, to heal the sick. Now, I think God can heal. I think God can do miracles whenever he wants. But he has not commanded me to do that. He commanded them. He did not command me to do that. Uh, I'll, I'll show you what I mean in just a minute. And then we know um, in Matthew 28, we have been given that Jesus was delegated authority, and we have been given the same authority in the Great Commission. So uh, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So Jesus has all of this authority from the Father granted to him. And now he's granting authority to his followers. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, Jesus granted his 12 and later 70 authority to do a lot of different things, things that he did. He's delegated me authority to make disciples. He's delegated you authority to make disciples. Now, he may use miraculous things. He can do that whenever he wants. But that's not our primary role, to, to do miracles. It's God's job, and he does them whenever he chooses. Our job is to make disciples. Uh, next slide. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey Everything, that's what he wants. He gives us instructions. He wants us to follow by faith. Another way is to say to obey. Everything I've commanded you, not just quite a bit, not those things you like, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises to be with his church to the end. 
when we're making disciples. He doesn't say, if you do these miracles, I'll be with you again. He says, if you make disciples and teach them to obey. Okay, one last verse. John 15, 5. As a reminder, when we get to John 15, the night before Jesus' death, the disciples have a whole lot of experience in following Jesus. And it's still going to take them a while to, to catch this one. But he says, I am the vine. I'm this living organism. You are the branches. You are a part of me. You are living because you're connected with me. If you remain in me, stay, 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 remain. And I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what he was teaching his disciples when they fed the 5,000. With me, you can do all the things God wants you to do. Our job is to make disciples. He is going to give us success as we stay connected to him, as we walk with him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So, um, and that's exactly uh, what that Darth Vader little video clip was about. You cannot live the Christian life apart from dependence on Christ. Think about that. There's a Christian life. All these things that we are taught to do as Christians, it's impossible without Christ. Otherwise, you're just going through the motions and you're trying to be religious. But with the power of the Holy Spirit in you, you can be all that Jesus wants you to be. Let's stand for prayer. Father, I thank you for uh, this passage this morning uh, as Jesus continues to teach his followers and to instruct and to give them experience and he desires that they grow in their understanding and in their, um, in their faith. That, that they can learn to take steps, baby steps, and trust Jesus. And Jesus will answer, and he will come through, and he will give enablement. Father, um, remind us today that we can do nothing of significance, nothing for the kingdom, nothing that will last for an eternity apart from Jesus. Lord, may we live um, just one day at a time, surrendering our lives to you, and may you um, live through us and help us to be the people you want us to be. For Jesus' sake, amen.